0: Um, we are in a series called Parables of the Kingdom of God, and um, it's all about discovering the secrets of the kingdom that are wrapped up inside the mysteries of the parables that Jesus told. And remember, uh, Jesus is interested in establishing the kingdom of God through the use of left-handed power, not right-handed power. Now, um, uh, if, if you recall back to my first message, this idea of left-handed power versus right-handed power has absolutely nothing to do with politics. So let's get that out of our minds right now. It has nothing to do with politics. Your right hand is governed by the left side of your brain, the, um, the plausible, l- um, logical, um, straight-line thinking left side of your brain. Your left hand is governed by the intuitive open, imaginative right side of your brain. And that's what left-handed power versus right-handed power is all about. The world understands right-handed power. The world um, prefers right-handed power. The world operates in and favors right-handed power. But Jesus has an ever-increasing preference for the use of left-handed power to establish his kingdom. And last week, The parable of the sower introduced that idea. Jesus had already been sown everywhere into the world. It's not our job to bring Jesus anywhere. It's our job to proclaim the good news that he's already there, right? Um, And so we came away with with this thought that the power of the kingdom of God is a mystery. And um, today, before we dive into our parable, uh, I want to share a little blurb with you from a book, This book is called um, Between the Dark and the Daylight, and um, I just thought it was pretty fitting for what we're going to be talking about today. So here's the blurb. Psychologists tell us that one of the most difficult conditions a person can be forced to bear is light deprivation. Darkness, in fact is often used in military captivity or penal institutions to break down an individual's sense of self. Once a person becomes disoriented, once they lose a sense of where they are and what it is that lurks in the dark around them, or where the next crevasse or wall or attack may be coming from, once they can no longer feel in control of their physical surroundings, a person loses sense of self. Every shred of self-confidence shrivels. The giant within them falls and they become whimpering prey of the unknown. The natural instinct to be combative is paralyzed by fear. The spirit of resistance weakens. The prisoner becomes more pliable, more submissive, more willing to take directions. This fall into the sinkhole of sensory deprivation disarms a person. It can drive them into madness. It is, every it is every military knows, an effective technique. Nothing does more than darkness to isolate us from the sense of human support and understanding, which is the human being's main source of self-definition, whether we're conscious of it or not. Indeed, darkness separates us from reality. It disorients a person both physically and psychologically. And again, that was... The book Between the Dark and the Daylight by Joan Chittister. Um, when I think about this, I think about my kids. And I think about them being afraid of the dark. And I think about myself. When I was a kid, I was afraid of the dark, right? And it's, it, it, they said it in, in that blurb, it's paralyzing. Your, your logic goes out the window and you're paralyzed by fear when you don't know what's around you, when you, when you don't know the surroundings, you don't know what's lurking. The unknown um, is the greatest fear of the dark. Is that a monster in my closet or is it just a coat, right? Is that a spirit in the corner or is that just a shadow, right? The unknown is what causes great fear. Darkness is disorienting. Darkness is concealing. Darkness hides. Um, Robin and I have friends that um, a few years ago they bought a house and um, it was in rough shape. The house was in rough shape, and they were living in it while they were fi- fixing it up. Um, and early one morning, uh, one of them got up to go to work before it was light out. Got up to go to work. He goes into the kitchen and flips on the light, and hundreds of roaches scattered. Hundreds of roaches scattered. They were concealed by the darkness. They like to operate in the dark. Um, The darkness conceals, and it wasn't until the light was on that they saw the truth of the problem that they had. It wasn't until the light was on that they saw the truth of the problem that they had. See, darkness has a negative connotation, right? But we eventually get used to darkness. Like, I'm talking physically, right? Your eyes get used to it. You become accustomed to it. Like, like darkness like it can be scary, but eventually you get used to it. You get used to the disorientation, all that, and we completely we can complete, completely forget that we're in the dark. Even even if you're comfortable with it, though, even if you're used to it, you still need the light. You still need the, the light to um, to help you accurately see what's going on around you. When we don't have light, we don't have a clear view of reality. Reality is distorted when we don't have light. Reality. Um, it's, it's disfigured. Light cures all of that. Today we're going to read the parable of the lamp, the parable of the growing seeds. But first, um, before we read those, pray with me this morning. Let's pray. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. And I pray, God, that today as we read um, parables spoken by you, I pray that, that um, we would clearly see what you're trying to do, clearly see um, your mission and what you're trying to accomplish. We love you, God. We thank you. We ask um, that you be with us and give us understanding. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you have your Bible, you can open them up or turn them on to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. We're going to be starting in verse 21. Now, to this point um, in the gospel of Mark, Jesus has been revealing his Messiahship. Um, He's been... uh, performing miracles, he turned water into wine, and then he, um, he healed people, and he drove out evil spirits, and that kind of, he's revealing who he is to people, that he is the son of God, he's the Messiah, and I think, this isn't like, this says the Lord, this is just my conjecture, right? I think he's revealing his messiahship to people so that he has credibility when he starts talking about the kingdom of God, because everything he talks about as far as the kingdom of God goes completely blows his audience's mind. It's not at all what they were expecting. So he needed to have credibility. So who better to to teach about the kingdom of God than the Messiah himself? So that's where we're at. Mark chapter four, starting in verse 21. Then Jesus asked them, would anyone light a lamp and then put it under a basket or under a bed? Of course not. A lamp is placed on a stand where its light will shine for everything that is hidden will eventually be brought into the open and every secret will be brought to light. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Then he added, pay close attention to what you hear. The closer you listen, the more understanding you will be given. And you will receive even more. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. Robin, come up here for a second. Give it up for my wife, Robin, guys. Can you hold that for me? Okay, so this is essentially what Jesus is saying. Got a lamp here, right? Nobody lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. What sense does that make? Nobody does that. Nobody lights a lamp and then puts it under the basket. They light a lamp so that everyone can see the light, right? The light, even though it's under a basket, doesn't stop shining. Is the light off? Is the light off? No, light's on, it's still shining. under a basket, nobody can see it. Nobody lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. Instead, they put it on a lamp stand for everybody to see. Thank you, Rob. That's all I needed you for. (laughs) Give it up for Robin. (laughs) So this is the parable Jesus used, and then he goes right into the next parable, launches right into another parable about seeds, growing seeds. Verse 26, the kingdom of God is like this, he said, a man scatters seed on the ground. Now here's a familiar word picture, right? This is a call back to a parable of the sower. Um, at least that's what it made me think of. Oh, he just told this. Jesus is, is, is talking about a, a farmer sowing seeds again, but His claim with this one is going to be way different than what the first one was. So let's look at it. Verse 27. He sleeps and rises night and day, he being the farmer or the sower. He sleeps and and rises night and day. The seed sprouts and grows, although he doesn't know how. The soil produces a crop by itself itself. First, the blade, then the head, and then the full grain on the head. As soon as the crop is ready, he sends for the sickle, because the harvest has come. So like the parable of the sower, these two parables are necessary for um, Jesus to communicate that the kingdom of God is not what everybody expects it to be. The kingdom of God is not what everybody has in their head, that it's supposed to be. A lamp. And growing seeds is what Jesus uses to explain the kingdom this time. And then he uh, explains, and they explain two different aspects of the kingdom. So Jesus launches into the parable of the lamp and the parable of the seeds immediately after the parable of the sower. Uh, and, And just to remind you quickly, the parable of the sower we discussed last week, the sower isn't Jesus. The sower isn't us. The church, right? The sower is the heavenly father and the seeds that the sower sows is the word of God who we understand to be Jesus, right? So the sower, the heavenly father sows Jesus into the world. Jesus is already here. We don't bring Jesus anywhere. He's already here. We just reveal the good news about him, right? So that, that's, that's what we talked about last week. And we talked about no matter where the seed falls, he does his work of growth, no matter where he falls, he does his work of growth. Jesus does the work. He does what only he can do, and it's up to us whether or not we allow him to do that work or whether we oppose him. That's, that's our job. Do we allow him to do the work, or do we get in, our, in his way? Do we oppose him? So to understand the parable of the lamp and the growing seeds, we have to look at it through the framework of the parable of the sower, so um, the first one I wanted to dive into is the parable of the lamp. The meaning of the parable of the lamp. Mark chapter 4, uh, verse 21, 23. We just read it. Would anyone light a lamp and then put it under a basket or under a bed? Of course not. A lamp is placed on a stand where its light will shine. For everything that is hidden will, be eventually, will eventually be brought into the open. And every secret will be brought to light. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. So... I'm gonna get nerdy for you, for nerdy on you for a second, but stick with me. I promise it matters. Okay? In in the original language uh, that the Bible was written in, the definite article "the" is used when talking about the lamp. Now, what I mean is this: when it says, "Would anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket?" in the original language, Jesus says, "Would anyone light the lamp and put it under a basket?" Would anyone light the lamp and put he doesn't say would anyone light any old lamp? He's talking about a specific lamp. Would anyone light the lamp and put it under a basket or under a bed? So the definite the definite article the changes our understanding of the meaning of what Jesus is talking about. He doesn't say, Would anyone light a lamp? but would anyone light the lamp? He's talking about a very specific lamp. Who is the lamp or what is the lamp do you think Jesus is talking about? Psalm 119, 105 says this, the word, your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. Your word is a lamp. Who's the word of God? Jesus. Interesting. Second Peter Uh, Chapter 1, verse 19, because of that experience, we have even greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets. You must pay close attention to what they wrote, for their words are like a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and Christ the morning star shines in your hearts. The words the prophets spoke were directly from the mouth of God. So the word of God is a lamp. So who do we know to be the word of God? Jesus. Jesus right and the way the bible describes the word the way the bible describes jesus is as a lamp jesus himself even even makes this claim right john chapter 8 verse 12 jesus spoke to the people once more and said i am the light of the world If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. In John chapter 9, verse 5, he makes another claim like this But while I'm here in the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus is the lamp that shines the light. Jesus is the lamp that shines the light. Would anyone light the lamp and put it under? A basket or under a bed. In other words, Jesus is saying, would anyone receive the Son of God and not proclaim him? Would anyone p- receive the Son of God and then not proclaim that he's a Son of God? Would anyone claim that they're my follower and then not live it? And then not tell anybody? Would anyone receive the Son of God and not proclaim it? Would anyone light the lamp and put it under a basket? Then Jesus says, a light, or better interpreted as the light, the light is placed on a lampstand where its light will shine. Where its light will shine. The light that shines comes from the lamp. But we can't recognize that light except on the lampstand of absurd left-handed interpretation of who Jesus is and his work. We can't understand him for who he is unless we're looking at him the right way. If you stand Jesus, you stand the lamp of Jesus on plausible, direct, straight-line power interpretation of who he is, we're not gonna see him for the Savior that he is. We'll only understand who Jesus is when we put him on that lampstand. What do I mean? I mean, everybody expected the Messiah, the, the Savior of, of Israel, the Son of God, everybody expected him to come and establish a physical kingdom through, through military force. That's what everybody was expecting the Messiah to do: to come, establish a military rebellion against Rome and establish the kingdom of God as a physical kingdom on Earth. That's what everyone was expecting. That's a lamp under a basket. That's a lamp under a bed. That's not what Jesus had in mind. The left-handed lampstand shines a light on, on a messiah who's only interested in, in reconciling humanity to their creator. And, and he, does, he does so in crazy, absurd, ridiculous left-handed way, right? The perfect Jesus dying for all your sins, dying for all your mistakes, dying for all your mess-ups. The left-handed power of the kingdom of God is mysterious. The lamp is the good news of the word of God. And the lamp is the good news that that Jesus is the all-sufficient cause of the kingdom. Jesus is the all-sufficient cause of the kingdom. But unless the lamp is set squarely on the lampstand of left-handed power interpretation, right? Unless we understand him the right way, we're not going to see him for who he is. The secrets of the kingdom of God are wrapped up in the mystery of these parables, and the parable of the lamp is no different. Jesus is the lamp that shines the light, and, and it's up to us to make sure people see him the right way. So the meaning of the parable of the lamp is Jesus is the lamp, right? The next one I want to talk about, we, we read, the meaning of the growing seeds, Mark 4, 26 through 29, the kingdom of God is like this, he said, a man scatters seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day. The seed sprouts and grows, although he doesn't know how. The soil produces a crop by itself, first the blade, then the head, and then the full grain on the head. As soon as the crop is ready, he sends for the sickle because the harvest has come. Um, this parable of the growing seed sounds a lot like the parable of the sower, and, all re- and in all reality, it's an extension of it. But like I said, Jesus makes a wildly different claim with this parable. Remember last week, we identified the seeds being sown, the word of God, right? Jesus, we don't have to worry about bringing Jesus anywhere. He's already everywhere. It's up to us to reveal it, right? Or proclaim the good news about it. Um, well, in this parable, Jesus starts out by saying, "The kingdom of God is like a farmer who scatters seed." In the parable of the sower, the the word of God is the seed sown. In this parable, the kingdom of God is the seed sown. In the parable of the sower, the word of God is the seed sown. Jesus, in this parable, the kingdom of God is the seed sown. He uses the rest of the parable to drive home the point that the kingdom of God is sovereign over the earth, that it wants to make its home. The kingdom of God is sovereign over the earth. Verse 27, he sleeps and rises night and day. The seeds sprout and grow, uh, sprouts and grows, although he doesn't know how. The soil produces a crop by itself. First the blade, all, you know, we, we just read it. There's no mention of danger, of hostility toward it. There's no mention of, of the way humans respond to it. And, you know, like last week, we, we, we talked about that, right? Hostility and response to the sowing of the seed. There's no mention of that in this one. It doesn't matter how, it doesn't matter the hostilities. It doesn't matter the dangers. That's not mentioned at all. It doesn't matter the good or bad effects on the kingdom that we might see based on the human being's response to it. Jesus is making the claim that the kingdom is sovereign over the earth he ignores the hostility he ignores the response he ignores all that in the in the parable once the man sows the seed he does nothing more than mind his own business right it says he he sows the seed and then he goes to bed Right, he goes to bed. He wakes up the next morning, and he cooks himself some breakfast. And then he goes to the grocery store. And then maybe he like whips up some dinner. And then he hangs out with some friends. And then he watches the nine o'clock news. And he goes back to bed. Right? He doesn't do anything else with the seed. In this parable, the sower just sows the seed and then goes on about his business. But the seed grows, all by itself. It grows all by itself. And then in verse 28, we see one of the most jarring statements. The earth, again, the earth produces the crop on its own. If the kingdom is established on earth and the kingdom is sovereign over the earth, then in the plain terms of the parable, Jesus is claiming that the kingdom of God bears fruit of itself automatically. The kingdom of God doesn't need you to make it grow. The kingdom of God doesn't need me for it to expand. It does it all on its own. This is, this is the mystery that, that, that Jesus is proclaiming. The kingdom of God is already here. It's already sovereign over the earth, and it grows no matter what we do. It's, it's an unstoppable force. Jesus is saying essentially, like, put the kingdom into any kind of world It doesn't matter. Good, bad, strange, normal, upside down, right side up, it doesn't matter. Put the kingdom into any kind of world and it's going to produce fruit all on its own. Now, the kingdom, like the kingdom of God works on its own time for sure. For sure. It works on its own timeline. But there's not one word from Jesus about crop failure. Oh, the 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 seeds—they you know—they didn't produce crops this time. They—they they didn't produce anything this time. Ah, oh, nuts, right? There's not one word of that. It it produces everything, and then the harvest comes. There's only proclamation of sowing that results in growth toward a har- harvest, and it's a mystery. It's a mystery. Um, Chelsea, you can come back up. So Jesus is trying to shift believers' perspective of the kingdom of God. The word of, of God is our lamp. And he, he shines whether we put him under a basket or under a bed or on a lampstand. But the lamp, the word, Jesus, he didn't come to be put under a basket. He didn't, he didn't come to be put, like shoved under a couch. Like he came to shine light into a dark world. But when we put Jesus and his left-handed power on the lampstand of right-handed, plausible interpretation of who he is, no one can see him. No one can see who he is. We, we have to understand Jesus for who he really is to be able to proclaim him to the world. When we can't see Jesus for who he is, we get angry. We get dissatisfied. We get Bitter over all the world's injustices over um, all the real or perceived offenses against us we we get we get mad about that stuff when when we can't see Jesus for who He is, we become more and more law driven and we become less and less gospel fluent. We need to be able to see Jesus for who he really is. I have a picture I want to show you picture. It's called this is called the tree of heaven this is a real thing tree of heaven the tree of heaven uh, is an invasive species of plant that was brought to the united states from china in the 18th century okay uh, i want to share an interesting fact with you people hate this plant and they hate this plant because it grows very very rapidly and very very aggressively It grows very rapidly and very aggressively, and this plant doesn't need anybody to plant it. It spreads its own seeds, and the seeds don't need to be fertilized. They don't even need to be planted in the ground. It spreads its own seeds, and it grows on its own. That sounds a lot like the kingdom of God to me, right? Aggressive, rapid, grows itself. And people also hate these trees because they have little flowers on them too that from these flowers emanate a pungent odor. Like it's almost impossible to ignore the smell when you're around it. So again, aggressive, rapid growth, spreads its own seeds. It doesn't need anyone else to plant it or fertilize it or do anything to make it grow. And it has a fragrance so pungent that you can't ignore it. It Sounds a lot like the kingdom of God to me. I think there's a reason they call it the tree of heaven. The kingdom doesn't need our, our help growing. The kingdom doesn't need us to advance it. It's so distinguishable on its own that it can't be ignored. So what does this mean for us? Well, just like last week, It means that we don't have to do anything. There's nothing that you and I need to do. We don't have to accomplish anything, right? We don't have to strive to bring Jesus. We don't have to work to to make the kingdom grow. Like it's already in motion. Jesus is already here. The kingdom has already been established and it's already growing. We just have to stay out of the way. We have to stay out of his way and let him do his work. It's our job to share the good news. That's it. It's our job to let the light of Jesus shine. Are we going to be the type of people that bear the fruit of the kingdom? Or are we going to be the kind of people who oppose the kingdom? Are we going to put the lamp on the lampstand to show people who Jesus really is? Or are we going to hide him under a bed? challenging, challenging parable. It it makes me examine myself and it makes me examine why I do what I do. So, um, I'm going to leave it hanging there and I'm going to pray and we're going to respond in this moment and we're going to let the Holy Spirit do his work. Um, we're gonna we're gonna go through we're gonna do a song and it's just gonna be a couple minutes but I wanna I wanna ask it uh, that nobody leave just yet don't rush through this moment let's allow the Holy Spirit to do do His work so um, I'm gonna pray and then we can um, then we can stand and and, and worship and, and and let the Holy Spirit do His thing let's pray God we thank you we love you we ask for just understanding Holy Spirit that you would help us understand the parables of the kingdom are mysterious. They can be confusing, but I know that we can understand them through through the power of your Holy Spirit. So right now, Holy Spirit, I just ask for that understanding that you help us to, to know what you're really trying to communicate, to help us to understand the, the secrets of the kingdom of God. We love you, God. We thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you would like to stand, you can stand. If you need to sit and respond and pray or whatever, you can. But we're going to respond to the Lord right now. God, thank you. Thank you for this time that we've had to worship you and to hear your words about the kingdom. And and God, I pray for anybody right now who who is here that, that they would feel relief, that the pressure's off that the responsibility to grow the kingdom's not on us, it grows itself the resp- our responsibility is to get out of its way and let it do its thing and proclaim the good news of Jesus let the lamp shine thank you God thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name. Um, before I dismiss, I have a few next steps that I want to challenge us with. Um, these next steps are just tangible things we can do to take the message and and try to apply it to our, our life this week, try to apply it to to our, our walk with, with the Lord. So the first one is, this week I will memorize Mark four twenty one. Then Jesus asked them, would anyone light a lamp and then put it under a basket or a bed? Of course not. A lamp is placed on a stand where its light will shine. Would anyone receive the the Son of God and then not proclaim Him? It's a challenge, a challenge for all of us. Um, And the next one is this week, I'll invite someone to sit with me at Anchor. Um, 86% of new church attendance is from personal face-to-face invitation. So I want to challenge you, invite somebody this week to come sit with you for next week. Uh, and then finally this week, I will read the parable of the weeds, Matthew chapter 13, verse 24 through 43. This is our next parable. So if you want to get a head start, that's, that's the one to read. So let me say one last prayer, and then we can be dismissed this morning. Thank you, God. We love you. We give you all the praise. Thank you for the opportunity to come worship. Um, Yeah, help us to know you better. Help us to know you better, God, that we might make you known in our world. And finally, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen and amen. Thanks for coming, everybody. Thanks for worshiping with us today. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.